left last week and they moved to Washington, D.C. And um, they're going to be involved in uh, apartment life ministry there. And, um, you know, in a, in a time when a lot of people are trying to get out of D.C., they're moving to D.C. And um, I, I know that uh, you want to continue to pray for them. Uh, as they get settled, as they get situated, they're going to be uh, probably working with Waterfront Church in, in Washington, D.C., um, which would be uh, uh, Zach Randall's uh, out of uh, Lubbock, uh, John Randall's uh, church up there. John Randall's passed away a few years ago, a couple of years ago, but um, uh, his son Zach is pastoring a church there in D.C., and I know they'll be wa- plugging in and being a part of that. So uh, pray for Garrett and Jamie, uh, as they transition, and I know that's going to be a, a tough deal. You know, um, I do want to encourage you this morning uh, to walk in faith and to draw closer to God. Um, you know, Edmund Burke, he was a member of Parliament from 1765 to 1795 in Great Britain, and he said the only thing necessary. For the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. For good men to do nothing. You know, on January 6th, a few days ago, many of us watched in disbelief as our U.S. Capitol was overrun. In events that many of us thought would never happen. Edmund Burke also said this. He said, rage and frenzy will pull down more in half an hour than prudence, deliberation, and foresight can build up in a hundred years. You know, with the presidential inauguration coming this week, we find ourselves as a people and as a nation in transition. We are in time of transition You know, we sense the tearing loose of the moorings that this great nation was founded on, and we've drifted so far. As a nation, we've drifted. And we're grieved over that, and we grieve for the country that maybe we grew up in that is ever rapidly changing. Make no mistake, we are in a time of transition. You need to focus in on that because sometimes it's, it's easy for us to, to move on to the next thing too quickly. And we don't actually see where we're at and what's going on and, and what's happening. And so I, I want to focus in on that in, in a time of transition. You know, earlier this month, I tested positive for COVID. And um, I'm recently recovering uh, from this virus. I haven't had a fever in, in a few days, so, uh, and I'm not showing a whole lot of symptoms, so I, I feel good about things. Um, but, you know, illness destroys your appetite for health. When you think about illness. You know, when you're quarantined with the coronavirus, the easiest thing to do is, is to pull the covers over your head and draw the curtains and, and, and stay in a darkened room, avoiding the sunlight, and the fresh air that might actually encourage health to return sooner. I was so not expecting the chronic fatigue. You know, where you're just tired all the time. And, and it, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, 
A few nights ago, I told Tracy, I said, can we go to bed early? And she's like, what are you talking about? You've already had two naps today. But it's that way, just a chronic fatigue. You know, the congestion that it brings uh, comes not only making it difficult to breathe, but it, it cancels the mechanism that you have of taste so that you can't tell fresh apple pie from stale oatmeal. And so it, it, it really is a, a problem. An illness not only is hard in itself, but it steers us away from the good choices that might bring us back to wholeness sooner. My point is this, is that moral illness is the same. Moral illness does the same things in our lives. You know, when our inner person is languishing, we're less hungry for wholeness. And we tend to be more resistant to the good choices that will bring us closer to God. I mean, frequently well-meaning friends they give good advice, but because we have no appetite for spiritual health and no hope that we will ever get well, the advice doesn't help us much. See, what we need when our souls are sick are some good stories, some things to nurture our souls. And that's what we find in the Bible. The Bible is full of God's word, full of his truth. And really what we need is the incarnation of truth. You know, in the prologue to John, it, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, we need redeeming stories of how God moved in someone's experience, bringing life and hope to a hopeless situation. When we hear the stories, our hunger is quickened and you know, we might say something like, well, I want that for myself. I, I want what they have. I want to be better. I, maybe there is hope for me. Let me just say this. 2020 was a crazy, weird year. We are not okay. We've all struggled with stuff. We're all grieving loss of some kind. I don't want to just sweep that under the rug and say, we've got a new year, let's, let's all be blessed. Folks, we need to understand where we are. We are in a time of transition. There's things that are happening. And we're all grieving something. And while I may not give voice to everything that each of us is grieving, we are all grieving something. You know, you plan a year and then the calendar gets cleared and none of the things that you hoped to happen were you able to accomplish or do. There's a loss that takes place. There's a grieving that takes place. You know, acknowledging grief and, and reflecting on it, taking the time, allows healing to take place. It allows that healing event to start and, and it gives us a desire to carry on. And so this morning I want to say, oh weary soul, lift your eyes. 
Stop focusing on this that's down here that we see, that we live in every single day and lift your eyes to the author and the finisher of our faith. Focusing on Jesus. See, over the next few weeks, we're going to be considering the book of Ruth, which hopefully will cause us to see the living God our personal Savior, our Holy Redeemer, and our loving Creator. Because you see, God, God creates, and He sustains, and He rules, and He cares for the world. And in every chapter of the book of Ruth, it affirms that God is there, caring, ruling, and providing. Folks, we need to hear that. That God cares. That He rules. That He is sovereign in all things. See, it seems incredible that this amazing love story that, of Ruth, that it happened and that it occurred during the dark days of the judges. But that's just like the grace of God. When things are dark, when things seem dreary, he brings life. He brings hope. What a beautiful thing. You know, if we were to, you know, if you, if you turn in your scripture to the book of Ruth, it's sandwiched in there between uh, the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And so you have this conquest. You have the, the people going and taking possession of the land, the, the promised land. And, and, um, but then things take a turn, and if you look in the end of, of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Wow, doesn't that sound familiar? Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Now, if you contrast this with the book of Ruth, people who acted responsibly rather than permissively and with a faith in God's sovereign control. God's not sitting on his throne wringing his hands about our election, about our president, about COVID, about any of this. He's in control. He has been and he will maintain in control. Let's read Ruth chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 and 2 and, and um, we'll unpack some of that and see where that takes us here. But um, it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. Ephratites, of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. 
Father, your word is truth. Father, your word is the things that we judge everything else by. Father, your word is the plumb line. So, Father, I pray that you would help our eyes to focus on you, our hearts to be open, and that your Holy Spirit would bring all truth to us. Father, we thank you for loving us. Guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, from the beginning to the end, the story of Ruth reveals God's care and his control, truly his sovereignty over everything. You know, we read about the promised land being the the land of milk and honey. And the land of milk and honey has become parched and empty. According to verse 1, it says there was a famine in the land. I mean, how can this be? The land that God promised them now is a land where nothing will grow, where there is a famine, there is no food, It's hard, they can't even maintain it. And because their agricultural and societal abundance depended upon their spiritual obedience. Their agricultural and societal abundance depended on their spiritual obedience. What if the amount that you prosper is is dependent upon your spiritual obedience? See, I believe that it is. God hasn't changed. Their agriculture and societal uh, abundance depended on their spiritual obedience. And since, since they had ignored God's laws and degenerated into spiritual famine, <laughs> they quit reading God's word. They quit spending time with God. And it created a spiritual famine in here. Which led to a physical famine out here. Just as God had told them. Just what he said. If you turn your back on me, then this is what will happen. Oh, we think we're pretty special, don't we? That we can live any way we want and expect God's blessing. Doesn't work that way. See, their response should have been to repent and run back to Him, but instead they ran away from Him, which is our tendency as well. When things dry up, we want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. Bethlehem, the house of bread, was now the house without bread. Let me give you just a little bit of background here. If you remember from Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 30 and following, you remember after God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Lot's wife, you remember, they were leaving and they were, they were, they, she turned around and looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
Well, Lot stayed in the mountains. He lived in a cave there with his daughters, his two daughters. And they realized that they didn't have an heir. They didn't have any offspring. And so they they launched a plan to get their father drunk, which they did, and they slept with him, and both of his daughters became pregnant. The older daughter gave birth to Moab, which became the country of Moab, or the Moabite. And the younger daughter gave birth to Ben-Ami, which gave birth and became the country of Ammon, or, or the Ammonites. And the Moabites, they worshipped Chemosh, the, the destroyer, the, the subduer, the, the fish god. Okay, so they were pagans. The Moabites were pagans. This is important. Now this couple, Elimelech and Naomi, they had two sons, Mahlon and Kilion. They went to Moab because there was famine in the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. There was famine there, so they, they moved to Moab. Now these two sons, Mahlon means sick, okay? The word Mahlon means sick. Kilion means pining away. Can you imagine naming your children that? Okay, this one's sick and this one's pining away. I mean, how would you like to go to this home and visit these, these boys, ask about the boys? You know, there's little Mahlon laying in the corner, sick with a temperature, hovering between life and death. And then you got little Kilion who's nothing but skin and bones wasting away. Who names their kids this? You know what, these boys, they grew up and they, they grew older and they, they, they went into the country of Moab. And while they were there, we read later on that they, they married wives. They married girls who were Moabites and their names were Ruth and Orpah. It kind of sounds like Oprah, but it's a little, there's Orpah. Now, Orpah means fawn, like a little deer. And, and you know, we use that word in the English to mean a superficial kind of love. Um, fawning over someone or a kind of surface love or attention. The name Ruth means beauty. And although it's a 3,000-year-old story, this is as contemporary a story as you're going to ever find. I mean, the shattered dreams. The shattered dreams, the, the rebuilding of hope, the communication between men and women, the fears, the possibilities, the prayers, the work, the frustrations are all very familiar to us. And it deals with the essentials of how we're made, which don't change and which don't apply only to one culture. We're all in the same boat together. You see, a story that can tell the truth century after century is worth learning from. And it begins with famine and death, but it ends with harvest and birth. So it's a redemption story. It's a redemption story, and all of us, all of us need to be redeemed. We all need a redeemer. And we all need the transforming love of Almighty God. 
Notice a couple of things here. These are ordinary folk. These are ordinary people. There's, there's no reference to royalty here. There's no reference to, to genius or riches. Nothing that marks them out and makes them so different that we couldn't imagine ourselves experiencing what they experienced. They're just like ordinary people today. You remember in the creation account in Genesis, when the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. In every age since then, God has been fitting man and a woman for each other if they will let him. If they will let him. Most of the time, pride gets in the way. But God has been teaching people lessons and drawing them near and, and giving them to one another, making marriages and making families. And what he is doing today, he did 3,000 years ago in the same way. It's common to all of our lives. The things that we read about. Boaz. We don't, haven't been introduced to him yet, but Boaz. He was made exactly the right husband for Ruth. And the dynamics of how they were brought together, how they learned to trust God, how they had to listen, the listening they had to do and the, and the words that they needed to say, they're all the same things in the making of marriages and the work that God does today. It's all similar. But folks, this is not just a love story. This is not just a love story. Most of us, if we marry at all, will probably marry only one person in a lifetime. But every one of us, each and every one of us has a capacity that is different from sexual love. We have the capacity for friendship. Friendship. This is a powerful, powerful story about friendship. See, the friendship between Ruth and Naomi their commitment to one another, their willingness to take on life together, and the certainty that each of them, especially Ruth, would support the other are some of the most tender mercies that we find in this book. This commitment. Friendship takes commitment. See, learning how to be a companion, a support, an honest friend occurred the same way then as it does today. Notice also this is a story about suffering. And human suffering hasn't changed much in 3,000 years either. Because we live in a fallen world. Tragedy overtakes every life. Every life has tragedy in it. Heart sickness, sorrow, brokenness, failure, deprivation, and loss. You know these things to be true. What I'm saying resonates because we are there. We understand. And how God uses suffering to build faith and how He makes life too hard for us to bear. 
And what he does about it? By giving himself to us, all remain the same. See, I believe that Naomi's honest frustration throughout this book is a great lesson teacher. Now, I remember quite a few years ago, I had to tell my wife and my children that we would be moving. I mean, have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to tell your wife and children, hey, we're moving. Moving from city to city, changing jobs, greeting strangers. You know, that that characterizes American life. I, I think about Dallas and Caitlin Holston picking up and moving to Temple so they can work and serve here in this body. Oh, we're great. We're, we're excited that they're coming. We're happy. Oh, yes. We're, we, we, we just want to roll out the red carpet. We want to say, welcome. We're glad you're here. How are you doing? Come on. You know, be with, but you know what? They're grieving. They're grieving the congregation that they just left. Saying goodbye to, to great people, great friends. Not knowing when they will see them again. I mean, that's an unknown for all of us, but we take it for granted. But the idea here is they are leaving, they are grieving, and they're moving here. And in our joy, let's understand that there may be, it may be bittersweet for them. See, Elimelech, he came home from the fields of Bethlehem. And he told Naomi and their two sons, hey guys, we're moving. I've heard there's, There's grain, there's barley in Moab. Let's pick up our stuff and move to Moab. Now they were moving to Moab, the land extremely different from Judah. Understand, this is a key point right here. God's promises always seem to be in the land. In the land. In the land. Why do you think the country, the the landmass of Israel is such a big deal? Because God's promises always seem to be in the land. I mean, step outside of that and you're either backslidden or at least heading for trouble. And Moab was a big no-no. It was a big divine no-no. Those are pagans over there. They don't worship the one true living God. You're going to step outside of my blessing if you do that. Oh, how many people have stepped outside of God's blessing? See, these godly people, without a doubt, they had to cope with this time of transition. But listen, change, transition happens to everyone. (laughs) Garrett and Jamie Tanner, they're in a time of transition. Dallas and Caitlin, they're in a time of transition. Our nation is in a time of transition. We as people are in a time of transition. Our history is in a time of transition. 
Transition is inevitable. We, we see that because the, the book of Ruth here gives us some insights to help us in times of transition. And the first thing we see is the inevitability of transitions, that no person remains the same. Things change. Every person would like to be put on hold in some idyllic and blissful state. I'm sure when the crops were beautiful, Elimelech enjoyed the happiness of success. But famine came. There was a reversal. Something happened. Life changed. There was a transition that took place. And if we live long enough, our circumstances will change. I mean, people have to start school. People have to graduate. They, they have to marry. They find a job. They look for another job. They retire. Transitions are inevitable. And the longer we live, the more the circumstances seem to change. I mean, think of the transitions that maybe you've been through in your lifetime. I mean, we might think to ourselves, we might think something like, well, man, I didn't think this would ever happen to me. Or I never thought this would happen in America, in our country. Folks, transitions are inevitable. God is still on His throne. You see, there's also the trauma of transitions. And all transitions create trauma. Whether the circumstances are good or bad, there's going to be some trauma that's involved with it. I didn't say drama, I said trauma. Elimelech's transition had to be traumatic. You know, to uproot his wife, his two sons, to move from a familiar place to an unfamiliar place. I mean, we don't know that they'd ever done that before. He had to leave the dwelling in the country for a strange land and another house. I mean, many words could be used to describe transition. Think of these. Fear. Loneliness. Depression. Loss. Maybe even grief. Maybe you could describe the trauma that you've experienced during a time of transition in your life. Transitions happen. They're inevitable. They cause trauma. And lastly, I would say this. I want to give you some resources for transition. I mean, how can we cope with transition? If they're inevitable, if they're going to happen anyway, what do we do about it? How do we cope with that? And I want to submit to you this morning that nothing, nothing helps in such a large and tangible way than to have the support system of others around you. In days like today, in days like these, in days and times of transition, you need a church family. In times of transition, you need your family. In times of transition, you need your friends around you who can speak truth into your life. When things are going crazy and it seems so out of control and you don't know which way is up, you need somebody who is grounded around you who can say, hey Ridge, I'm right here. Take it down a notch, it's going to be okay. 
See, Elimelech, his family, they had each other. And when he died, Naomi had her sons and their wives. And when their sons died, the three women, they had each other. You see this having support around. And in order to survive traumatic transitions, we need a loving support group. And we need a really, really big God. We need each other. And we need God. Naomi's resource for the changes consisted of God's care and his providence. And Naomi never lost sight that God was with her and that he cared. And isn't that what we need? We need to know that God is with us and that he cares. You know, all through the book of Ruth, return is a key word. And it's an apt illustration for repentance. You know, the song says, if there were if there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. And hope for life's best were the hopes that I harbor down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes and my castles all crumbled. My fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped it all in the rags of life and I laid it at the cross. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion he understood. All that I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. When the dreams turn to ashes, when the castles are all crumbled and the fortune turns to loss, you wrap that up in the rags of life and you lay it at the feet of Jesus. And He will make something beautiful of that. You see this morning, I quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon and then a, 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 a verse of Scripture and I'm done. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, The kiss of outward profession, proclaiming to know Christ, is very cheap and easy. But the practical cleaving to the Lord, hanging on to Him, which must show itself in holy decision for truth and holiness, is not so small a matter. It's one thing for us to say that we belong to him. It's another thing for us to live like we belong to him. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, I love the fact that when it talks about return, it's talking about a repentance. We wonder why there's spiritual famine. If we wonder why there's physical famine, it's because of the spiritual famine in our own lives. You know what? We're proud. 
we're too proud to get on our knees before God and to say, Father, I can't do it. To wrap all of those broken dreams and all of those things that turned to ashes and all of the loss, to wrap it up in the rags of life and lay it at the foot of the cross. So that indeed, He can make something beautiful of our life, of our marriage, of our home, of our church, of our country, of our nation. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Father, I ask that as we read into and through the book of Ruth, that you would transform our hearts. Father, that we would see King Jesus high and lifted up. Father, that we would see your sovereignty in all things. And Father, that we would recognize that we need you today more than we've ever needed you. Father, that we would submit our lives, that we would return to you. Father, that we would repent. Father, of the things that we've made it about. Father, deep down, we've been in love with the things of the world. Father, we've traded our first love for a lesser love. So, Father, I pray that a great repentance would come upon your people, your church. Father, that you would show us what a redeemer you are and how you redeem. And Father, you've redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who trust you, who walk with you, who are willing to take our stand and say, we love Jesus and we are committed to him and to him alone. Father, I pray that you would make it so by your power and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.